0: I sold my soul to the devil. I'm his bounty hunter. Then it only happens at night, like it is right now.
1: Whenever I'm around evil, evil people, evil spirits, I change
0: into just a creepy monster. But I am learning to, I'm getting control of it. I'm trying to. This is the legend of the Ghost Rider. Some damn soul, cursed. To ride the Earth, collecting on the Devil's Deals. The thing about legends is, sometimes they're true. Let's ride. Welcome to Now Playing's Ghost Rider Retrospective Series. Hell yes. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Now, deal with my rider. Hosted by Jacob... Guilty. Your soul is stained by the blood of innocence. Stuart. I'm not doing it. You don't have any choice. And Arnie. You're a hot shot, ain't you, boy? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be watching the Ghost Rider films in anticipation of the release of Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance.
1: Can you keep up?
0: This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. My job—I've seen and heard just about everything, so there is nothing you can tell me that's going to surprise me. Come on, Sean? I got show to
2: Today we're discussing Ghost Rider, starring Nicolas Cage, Eva Mendez, Wes Bentley, Sam Elliott, Donald Logue, and Peter Fonda, directed by Mark Steven Johnson, Daredevil director back. I am Arnie, co-host of
3: Now Playing. God,
1: Stuart in LA.
3: And this is Jacob. And Stuart, just repeat to yourself, as they say in this film, you can't live in fear. You can't live in fear.
1: <laughs> We're almost to Iron Man, hopefully. <laughs> Only a few months away. Yeah, yeah. But I'm burning in hell.
2: <laughs> I am in heaven. I mean, Ghost Rider. This is the very first comic book I ever owned in my entire life. I was at an Osco drug and saw this comic of a leather-clad biker with a flaming skull, and I had to own it.
1: Really? This broke your cherry. Ghost Rider. This is it.
2: In, like,
3: 1979. Yep.
1: Wow, even the original run—I
3: mean, Ghost Rider had a comeback in the '90s because that was the cool thing: Punisher, Wolverine, all these dark heroes. But wow, you found out about him in the original run—that's impressive.
2: Yeah, I knew about superheroes on cartoons and things. I didn't get into comic books until the '90s, but Ghost Rider was like the first comic book I ever owned in my entire life, and you know, I've always had an interest in him i was so jazzed when he got a theatrical release now much like daredevil this was a valentine's day release so i had to call in some february 15th favors being a friday that should have been you know date night since valentine's day was a thursday do it that friday and instead marjorie and i were out seeing ghost rider
3: well, I'm going to make the argument later that it might be an appropriate choice for that time of the year.
2: And Ghost Rider, I want you guys to know and all our listeners, if it wasn't for Ghost Rider, we would not be here today.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's either a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure.
1: Sitting here taping the show. I know I wouldn't <laughs> be here. All right. So what do I Oh, Ghost Rider then? How can I thank him?
2: Ghost Rider caused the creation of Now Playing, Mm -hmm. and it's a little ironic, but what happened is Marjorie and I go to see Ghost Rider, and on the way out, she's basically doing a stand-up routine about this movie, (laughs) and I'm like, if we just put a microphone in front of your face, our Star Wars action news listeners would just love it, because they like Marjorie, they like her as a host, and she was just so funny that I'm like, we need to do a movie podcast where you just do this. And so, a couple months later, we're looking for what should be the movie to review. Because by the time we'd get a domain name and everything, Ghost Rider would be a memory. So we started with Spider-Man 3 a few months later. But Ghost Rider and Marjorie's riffing on it is what gave me the idea. We need a movie podcast.
1: Mm. <laughs> okay. Honestly, I don't think I knew this was a comic book character. I might have seen Ghost Rider pinned to some heavy metal kid's shirt or something. There was a lot of skeletons in the 80s. I feel like <laughs> Iron Maiden had its covers. Like, I get them confused, frankly. I don't think that I can definitely say I knew what Ghost Rider was until I attended my first Comic-Con, 2006. And I, naturally being a movie person much more than a comic book person, I'm on the record of that. I spent most of my time in Hall H where they get the Hollywood stars to unspool their latest genre movies. And I was excited, hey, Nick Cage is going to be here with a new movie. And so is the director and Eva Mendez. I'm down for that. So I actually was there when they unspooled the very first footage for Ghost Rider the movie, this thing that we just watched. And I have a very distinct (laughs) memory of a skeptical comic book fan approaching the mic and asking Cage, why was this movie not a summer release? Why were they in probably, in his words, saying dumping this movie on Valentine's Day. And without missing a beat, there was no, like, hemming and hawing and talking about I don't work in marketing or it worked for Daredevil or anything. Without missing a beat, Cage, moony-eyed, looks out the audience and goes, "'Cause it's a love story.'" Oh, okay. I mean, I'm like, I don't know what this is. It's a love story. Sure. Lights go down, clip comes up, and a cackling, flaming skull drives up the side of a skyscraper with a whip, and I'm thinking, this is why Patricia Arquette dumped you, because this is your idea of a date. Yeah, it sort of explained everything in that little clip, and I didn't feel like I uh, needed to read a comic about it anymore. It was sort of like Nicolas Cage's ego unleashed. A year passes, the movie comes out, it does quite well. I'm on an airplane in summer 2007, and guess what the end-flight movie is? And this was back in an age where you didn't have to buy the movie, it already played, and everyone had to watch the same thing. It feels like a long time ago, (laughs) but... I, for whatever reason, decided to not close my eyes. I made the effort (laughs) to keep them open and to put on the headphones. You took the challenge of the pen and stare, (laughs) I see. I guess I was in the mood for a good love story. (laughs) So... (laughs) All I can say is I would have been more entertained if the plane had crashed. It was an awful, awful experience, and I thought, is this the best Cage can do? To me, it sort of typified (laughs) where he was in his career, and I just marveled at how awful it was. But keep in mind, this is maybe my first viewing of a Marvel movie since Howard the Duck. It's hard for me to remember, but at this point... I didn't know Marvel characters. I didn't see Marvel movies. This would have been the one two punch Howard the Duck, and then this. <laughs> so, this is actually my first time
3: seeing this film all the way through Ghost Rider. Arnie, you found out about him in the 70s. I got into comic books, you know, late 80s. He had a resurgent in the 90s. He crossed over into Punisher, and that's how I found out about him. Like, oh, cool. Flaming Skull guy on a motorcycle with a chain. Pretty badass. You know, when you're 14, 15, you enjoy that kind of stuff. But by the time this movie came out, honestly, from the promotions, the the CGI, I'm like, no, I'm staying away. And every time it's been on TV, I'll be flicking through channels. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll try to watch Ghost Rider. I don't think I've ever lasted more than a couple of minutes because as I sat down to watch this film this time – I'm like, I'm sure I could piece this all together from all the little snippets I've seen. No, I've seen very little of this movie. This is the first time for me. But as a comic book character, I love the concept. You know, the guy sells his soul to the devil, becomes, you know, a literal hell's angel. I mean, this should have really been like a John Carpenter 80s film. With some real like weird demon special effects and that, it has potential. But well, we'll talk about it if it lives up to that hellish potential as we go through the film. So one of the things I do know about Ghost Rider is that when he was created, there is some contention over who really created it, it. It all revolves around who put the flames on his head. You know, the original creation was this skeleton evil, evil character, and then one of the three creators said, "Hey, we need to put flames on him." and thus we had Ghostwriter, and there's a lot of contention and I know one of those creators said if Marvel ever tries to do anything this is my character and I'm going to sue him and I know that all came about when this film was released there were some lawsuits I don't know if that had an effect on this film there's got to be some trouble in this production here Arnie you're the movie guy what can you tell us
2: well actually Jacob just a couple weeks ago December 30th Merry Christmas you lost your court case New York threw it out he'd signed two separate contracts Marvel owned Ghost Rider and nothing mattered. He got no movie
3: money. Well, I mean, that's not surprising. The comic book history, not very friendly to creators who built the industry. They always lose out in the end.
1: Maybe he gets a bucket of popcorn and a free ticket to the show.
3: And that's a reward?
2: (laughs) (laughs) But this was a long time coming production. After Blade, this was the next dark hero. I mean, Blade was the first Marvel success and really Ghost Rider and Blade, they seem to walk kind of in that same world. Right. And so our good friend Goyer did a script for Ghost Rider setting it in Louisiana. And it was greenlit by dimension films in 2001. Goyer writing Stephen Norrington, our director of Blade back directing and Johnny Depp starring.
1: Wow, (laughs) a pre-pirates Johnny Depp, it is a different world for him. And
2: believe it or not, (laughs) Nick Cage hijacked the role from Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp was in talks, Nick Cage, huge Ghostwriter fan has a giant Ghost Rider tattoo, I learned, in real life, because they had to cover it up in the movie for his shirtless scene, because it wouldn't make sense for Johnny Blaze to have a Ghost Rider tattoo. So he contacted the producers and was like, I love Ghost Rider. I need to be Ghost Rider. I have a Ghost
1: Rider tattoo. Yeah, but didn't he get dumped from Tim Burton's Superman? I think he was just on a bender at that point. <laughs> he would have played Strawberry Shortcake, anything that's ever been animated.
3: Well, no, no, he was also a huge Superman fan. I mean, he had to sell off his Action Comics number one to pay some IRS debts or something recently.
1: <laughs> oh, poor... Well, he had a
2: huge, huge comic book collection. This guy's a comic book fan, and you gotta kind of respect that. You know, we're doing all these comic book movies. It's nice to see someone who's not just paying lip service, but actually spend hundreds of millions buying comics that then, yeah, he had to sell because of a divorce or a tax debt or something. But, yeah, he actually just hijacked the role away from Johnny Depp. He wanted it, and he got it back in 2001. But, as you might imagine, the hardest part of bringing Ghost Rider to screen was getting a script. And they had years and 20 drafts of scripts going around, And Mark Steven Johnson wrote several of these drafts. And after Daredevil was a hit, he was brought on not just to write, but to direct. But this thing underwent rewrite after rewrite after rewrite. It was being rewritten during production. It was supposed to be filmed in 2003. Then in 2004, they kept rewriting. Finally started filming in early 2005, set for a summer 2006 release. After they finished filming, they still kept rewriting, did more reshooting in spring 2006. And finally, the official line is release moved to February 2007 to relieve the studio's crowded 2006 summer schedule.
1: Yes,
3: because it's so good. It didn't want to embarrass the other blockbusters that year.
1: <laughs> and it's a love story. <laughs>
2: So yeah, this thing had a long highway to ride before it actually got put together, and given everything I've learned about the pre-production and production messes, I'm actually impressed it's as coherent as
1: it is. <laughs> Are you? You'd categorize this as coherent? Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can see this would be a contentious little <laughs> podcast today. This
2: is, of course, Nick Cage's return to Now Playing. I wasn't with you guys on Next. But I'm a Cage fan. I love his dramatic stuff like Leaving Las Vegas and The Weatherman. And I love his action stuff, Con Air and The Rock.
3: I knew you were going to bring those up. So
2: I'm very happy when I heard he was Ghost Rider. But much like when he was cast to play Superman before that, it's like, isn't he a little old and isn't he a little bald?
1: Well, his head starts on fire, just burns the hair away. It's all right. (laughs) Exactly. You don't need it. Hair gets in the way when you're a flaming skull. (laughs) I gotta say,
3: you know, Cage has a troubled history, I think, on now playing. We liked him in Kick-Ass. I like when he's playing the quirky roles. Like... Big Daddy, like in Raising Arizona in an Adaptation, I think he does that well. Whenever he tries to be the action star, though, like when you mentioned The Rock and Con Air, uh, maybe I could go with it. It gets a little tougher when I think of a biker dude, a guy clad in leather. Like, that's the guy he fought in Raising Arizona. That's not the guy he played. That's not a Nicolas Cage character. So I think that was one of my problems when I heard Nick Cage starting in Ghost Rider. It's just to be the biker dude. He's not the one I go to for that.
1: You know what? This seems perfectly made for him. I can believe he's a fan. I can believe he's committed to this. I look at the man literally as nitroglycerin. (laughs) People want to bring this thing in. Most of the time, it's going to blow up on you. But every now and then, you get something amazing on screen. And it's deadly. You just never know when it's going to go off and how big the flames will be. But it will be cataclysmic.
2: Yeah, I mean, one thing that I've known about Cage, ever since Kiss of Death and Snake Eyes, that was about the time I started getting into reading Entertainment Weekly and reading interviews with directors, Cage always has to bring something to the role that's unique and identifiable with Snake Eyes. He insisted on having golden guns and all these little things. So I'm always interested slash nervous in what he's going to do. But I do like it when he pulls it off. But I was always skeptical about him as Johnny Blaze. I do agree with that.
3: Well, Arnie, why don't you tell us what Johnny Blaze does in Ghost Rider?
2: Johnny Blaze spends his days with his father, Barton Blaze, as a motorcycle stunt rider in a carnival, and his nights with Roxanne, the love of his life. He wants to run away with Roxanne, but his father's diagnosis of terminal cancer weighs heavily on him. So when a dark, mysterious man comes and offers to cure Barton's cancer in exchange for Johnny's soul, Johnny kind of agrees. We'll discuss that. But the Faustian bargain is not what it seemed. Barton's cancer is cured, but later that same day he dies when a motorcycle stunt goes awry. Johnny blames the mysterious man named Mephistopheles for Barton's accident, but Mephisto says a deal's a deal, and sometime in the future, Johnny will be called when he's needed. Fast forward to the present, and Johnny Blaze is now played by Nick Cage, and is a world-famous stunt rider performing death-defying stunts, often crashing, but always walking away unharmed. But in private, he's tortured, wondering if the stunts are his or Mephisto's magic. But when Roxanne reappears in his life, now a TV journalist vying for an interview with the famous stunt writer, Johnny sees a chance at happiness. But the forces of evil are conspiring against Johnny's happiness as Mephisto's son, Blackheart, has come to Earth. Blackheart, played by Wes Bentley, wants to take over the world and overthrow his father's reign. And to do so, he needs souls. So he has come seeking the Contract of San Venganza. No, the Contract of San Venganza is not what Jacob and Stewart had to sign to be on here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And yet we're still burning in hell.
2: (laughs) In the Old West, Mephisto corrupted an entire town, San Venganza, influencing a thousand people to sell their souls. Mephisto sends his favorite demon to collect the souls, then-ghost Rider Carter Slade, a former Texas ranger who rode a horse instead of a motorcycle because they didn't have motorcycles back then. But the writer realized the power of the contract, so he did what no other writer had done. He disobeyed Mephisto and outran the devil. But Blackheart believes that with the aid of the Hidden, a trio of fallen angels who hide in the elements, including... Wallow the Water Demon, Gressel the Earth Demon, and Abigor the Air Demon, they can recover the contract and with those souls, overthrow Mephistopheles. So Mephistopheles calls on Johnny and bestows upon him the power of the Ghost Rider, and makes Johnny another bargain. If the Rider can stop Blackheart, Mephisto will return Johnny's soul. The Ghost Rider battles the hidden, and in the fights, Johnny's secret identity becomes known, and he's pursued by the police. Meanwhile, Johnny's mentored in the ways of the Ghost Rider by a mysterious old graveyard caretaker played by Sam Elliott, who somehow knows all the writer's secrets. The Ghost Rider is a being of fire who rides a flaming motorcycle. He has powerful chains and also a pen and that can inflict upon a victim's soul all the torment they've ever caused to others. But Blackheart kidnaps Roxanne and forces Johnny to trade the contract for the woman's life. Knowing the contract is somewhere in the caretaker's graveyard, Johnny goes to the old man, and the caretaker reveals himself to be Carter Slade, over 150 years old, the Ghost Rider of the Old West. Slade gives Johnny the contract, and Johnny goes for a final fight against Blackheart. Blackheart recites the scroll and is given the power of the thousand souls, but with a thousand souls, the writer's penance stare is multiplied a thousandfold, and he kills the demon. The contract fulfilled, Mephistopheles comes and offers to alleviate Johnny's curse, but Johnny refuses, saying that he will own the curse and use it to punish evil people and prevent Mephisto from growing stronger. And with his new mission, Johnny kisses Roxanne goodbye and rides off into the night. So we're going to get into that, as we usually do with these more modern Marvel movies. Want to comment on the Marvel logo here. I love what they did. First of all, it's all Ghost Rider pages, and then it turns black and gross spikes, much like Johnny's outfit later in the movie.
3: Yeah, it stood out. I liked it. It was pretty cool. I did notice it. I know DC has actually made a new DC logo for their digital releases where it kind of morphs. It looks like the DC logo and then it morphs into whatever comic you're reading, into a Wonder Woman logo or a Batman thing. So I thought it was cool that Marvel, they've already started doing this with their movies where it, it took on to the form of whatever movie it is. It was cool.
2: Apparently, they wanted the Columbia Pictures lady to be there and then have her head, like, catch on fire and become a skull, but Columbia was like, no.
3: That would have been (laughs) awesome. I might feel a lot kinder to this movie if they did that. Now I got to ask you guys, Netflix was generous enough to send me the extended (laughs) cut. And so that's what I watched the two hour and seven minute version of this film. Wow! And so I don't know if either one of you saw the theatrical cut because I have questions about the opening of this movie if this was the theatrical version as well. What did you guys see?
1: I, of course, saw the shortest.
3: (laughs) So lucky, Stuart. 20 minutes shorter, 15 minutes shorter, something like that. Much like (laughs) Electra, You watched all 20 billion different versions.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he probably saw other cuts that only aired in foreign countries. (laughs) The Turkish cut.
2: I had to buy three copies of this movie. Mm. I watched the extended cut and the theatrical cut and all the special features. So I've watched Ghost Rider
1: six times beginning to end for this. But I don't feel bad for you. You would do that anyway, <laughs> podcast or not.
2: <laughs> the podcast enables me. But I have to say, much like with Electra, the differences between these two cuts are minor. There's a couple scenes that I'll call out as we go, but I did not have to rewrite my plot summary, much like a Coolio subplot in Daredevil.
3: So, Arnie, you're telling me the first 20 minutes of this film which all get repeated in flashback through the rest of the film. <laughs> that was in the theatrical cut. There's a
2: little bit more, and the differences between the extended cut and the theatrical cut are almost entirely in this opening, where maybe five minutes is added, 30 seconds at a time, and some Roxanne scenes are added in present daytime. But yeah, it's a long time before we get to Nick Cage, and an even longer time in both cuts before we get to the Ghost Rider.
3: Oh, Because I swore, if we get into the backstory, the origin story Ghost Rider, it all gets repeated. And so I swore that was the extra 15, 20 minutes. They just put that in there as something they filmed. And some smart editor decided to cut because all this information will be told to us later. But I guess we have to talk about this because it was in both cuts now.
2: It actually has a prologue before the prologue, too.
1: <laughs> like all good movies. <laughs> That's the part, believe it or not, I actually wanted to be a little longer because it is supposed to pay out later when we find out who Sam Elliott is. He's not just the person doing the narration. He's the character we're watching. But I really don't understand. Maybe I never would. Maybe it could be five hours long and I never understand what he's trying to do with the devil at this point. Well,
2: this was actually added In post-post-production, because this wasn't there. This was, like Jacob saying about the whole young Johnny bit, the original vision was that this would be told to you throughout the movie. Which it still is. It is, but in editing, they decided it wasn't clear enough, so they added this whole Sam Elliott beginning to say that Sam Elliott was a Texas Ranger who got greedy and was waiting to hang when Mephistopheles came and made him a deal spare his life but he would be the devil's ghost rider the devil's bounty hunter
1: i didn't get any of that backstory in there that's vaguely interesting okay and the
2: gallows bit that he was going to hang and was a texas ranger came up later on when carter slade is telling his own story in this prologue you just know there's a ghost rider on a horse in the old west and that mephistopheles corrupted the entire town of san venganza And got a thousand souls in that town. And the town was drenched in blood. So the thousand souls who sold their soul killed others and were just nasty people. And the writer was sent to get the contract that was signed for those thousand souls.
1: They all signed the same contract? It was like they were in the same band? It was like a union. Okay. (laughs) A union of evil.
2: (laughs) Okay, all right. Or maybe it's like a petition. Can I get your soul too? Just sign here.
3: (laughs) It was a crappy town. What did they sell their soul for? It wasn't like they get really nice mansions to live in. It's a crud hole. I don't understand the contract of San Vinganza. I understand it's a plot device to give this movie some kind of story. I have no clue what's going on about it. And I saw an extra 15 minutes of this film. What's
2: funny is I actually give it this because they say that San Vinganza was a good town until a dark man came and corrupted it. And I'm a big Stephen King fan. I've read the book Needful Things. I've seen the movie. And so I kind of picture that kind of situation where he just came and one by one, turned the whole town against each other and got them all to make deals with the devil.
3: That sounds like a more interesting movie than Ghost Rider.
2: I just put that in my head, Needful Things in the Old West, and I go with it. It's acceptable enough to me.
3: You know what would have been simpler? The comic book. Well, I can't say that wholeheartedly because the Ghost Rider history has become very convoluted throughout the years. But the most basic source is, hey, the avenging angel, you know, that angel that killed all the firstborn in Egypt. That's what Ghost Rider is. He goes and he, he collects the souls of the evil.
2: That is kind of easy. Now, I do know from my comic reading, though, there was an earlier Ghost Rider on a horse, right? I mean, we talked about Ghost Rider being created in the 70s with the flaming skull. But they've kind of retconned an earlier comic called Ghost Ghost Rider into the Flaming Skull's backstory, didn't they?
3: You are correct. When I said you got in on the original run of Ghost Rider, you got in on the original run of the Flaming Skull, leather-clad, motorcycle-riding Ghost Rider. There was an earlier Western comic from Marvel called Ghost Rider, and it was about a cowboy who dressed up as a ghost to avenge evil. And yes, so they try to play that into here. Now, Marvel being Marvel and loving to have this huge, continuous history, I mean, they've retconned all this history of Ghost Riders going all the way back you know, to biblical times. So it's quite possible to have an old west ghostwriter and a viking ghostwriter and samurai ghostwriters it's all been included but yeah they did give some nice nods to the comic book publication history of ghostwriter characters
2: and you know that makes sense to me they kind of that was spawn too right i mean spawn is the devil servant and they ended up having medieval spawn and all these various spawns throughout time and it makes sense be it ghostwriter or spawn that you would have this in different incarnations throughout time
1: I think we need to retire the phrase, it makes sense. But okay, (laughs) for this podcast. For us people into comic
3: books, Stuart, (laughs) it makes sense.
1: I'm glad that someone saw this as coherent. I'll tell you what, I, what surprised me about this opening was I didn't remember this movie being framed as a Western, that this was a supernatural Western story. But, yeah, you hire someone like Sam Elliott, who's just embodiment of folksy. I mean, he is to the West what Barry White is to, like, love making. I mean, it's just, okay, I get it. We are in a Western, and that was a surprise to me.
2: Me as well. I think I'm on the record with Back to the Future 3 saying, you know i don't really like westerns but i do like comic book movies so i wasn't sure how i was feeling about it but hey you had a flaming guy on a flaming horse i was flaming happy
3: well when we get around to that dc retrospective jonah hex there's another western you might like
2: i
1: was wondering if jonah hex is as bad as this movie yes (laughs) we'll find out eventually i'm guessing
2: (laughs) that has megan fox i think it's immediately worse and yet better Better if the mute button is pushed.
3: I know in the past we've called people like the Punisher superheroes, and people have said, well, they're antiheroes or vigilantes. I'm sure to the lay comic person like Stewart, it doesn't matter. They're all superheroes. Yes. What I like about Ghost Rider is that he's a carny superhero at heart. <laughs> so finally we get to the carny portion of the movie. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> it's only about two minutes. You throw Cardies <laughs> into the mix. you've got my interest,
1: okay. I didn't know that you were such an easy carney lay. <laughs> <laughs>
3: not in real life maybe it goes back to like freaks it's just one of those things in cinema you can do so much with carnies
1: oh all right i hear you there the sideshow all of that there is something about the imagery and the legend and the fact that they're these traveling misfits yeah i agree that's appealing i didn't find it necessarily so here because it's really just the window dressing for a stunt show right these are motocross people this is evil Knievel.
2: Well, the whole thing was in a carnival, but yeah, those two guys were the motorcycle show of the carnival.
1: Yeah, but I'm saying we never met the bearded lady and all of the other things that I probably would have liked more. Yeah, and the movie's poorer for it. Yes. Question right off the bat, and I know you guys are going to laugh at me, but Johnny Blaze. I thought that was the name of Chris Evans in Fantastic Four. That
2: was Johnny Storm, and and he
3: flamed on.
1: Right! Already I was confused. I thought, is this his brother? I literally was trying to find a connection to that character.
2: What's funny is that on one of the bonus features on the extended edition DVD, a bonus feature not found on the Blu-ray, they have the making of the comic, and they talk about the creation that Jacob was talking about, and they get this flaming skull guy ghostwriter, and they show it to Stan Lee. And Stan Lee's like, I love it! He has to have an alter identity, and his name's Johnny Blaze! (laughs) And the writer's sitting there like, But Stan, you already have Johnny Storm who's on fire, but you're Stan Lee, so I'm not going to argue with you. (laughs)
1: Yes, uh, (laughs) he had that great idea again, and no one said no, because there was no one to say no. Okay, yeah, I figured there was an answer there. All right.
2: That is Stan Lee's only contribution to Ghost Rider, and I guess that's why he's not in this movie, is he, other than christening Johnny Blaze, didn't have much in the way of involvement. Mm. But yeah, we get a lot of scenes of Johnny with his father and with young Roxanne...
3: What they did here, they really condensed Johnny Blaze's origin because he grew up with his family. His mom and young siblings leave, so he's with his dad in the carnival. His dad dies. He's adopted by the Simpsons who are another motorcycle stunt family who have a daughter, Roxanne, who he falls in love with. And it's, that father the father simpson not homer though who gets the cancer and johnny makes the deal with the devil so you know that's way too much exposition for a movie so i'm glad they kind of condensed it here and streamlined it and let's just put it all into his original dad i understand why they went with the romeo and juliet you know who wants their daughter especially when you're a wealthy man who wants their daughter to marry a Carney or be in love with a Carney. so i understand the changes they made here i guess i can't say they make sense but i understand it
1: well you know what you answered a small question Question I had that was nagging me was they always kept talking about how Roxanne's dad didn't approve and said this was a phase and I was waiting for him to show up into the storyline never does so there it is.
2: I was surprised after this movie came out I became very interested in Ghost Rider and during this time they were actually selling complete comic runs on DVD and so I was able to for sixty bucks pick up every Ghost Rider comic ever printed on a disc and I went and I've read the first. 50. And I was surprised how close this really was to his comic book origin.
1: I almost wonder if that's a mistake, but maybe that's because I don't like the Faustian deal that gets struck. I have real problems with this origin story, not because it takes too long, and it does, <laughs> but I feel like what it sets up it doesn't make the... Conflict that interesting.
3: Well, I have a question for you, Stuart, because Arnie and I were the comic book guys. Maybe you're a little bit more literary. So, Mephisto, obviously based on Mephistopheles from Faust, I always thought he was the devil, that he was Satan, and when i was reading up on the marvel version of mephisto he's not satan he's just another demon i don't know if that's how it is with faust because i've never sat down and read it but i always assume mephisto and satan were the same thing
1: he is a devil not the devil i think we have this discussion in Exorcist. i think he's pazuzu's brother is what he is <laughs> I think that he tempts like the devil. He acts like the devil. It's like when the parents go away and the kids run the house. If Big Daddy Satan ever came down, Mephisto wouldn't have anything to do. But right now, he's acting like he's the one in charge. He is an agent of hell. So, yes, I think that's always the way it's been. The character is from German folklore and he makes packs. He tempts people, you know, what's the snake, the devil in the creation myth. I mean, I feel like they are all embodiments Of a thing that maybe is more conceptual than an actual character.
2: What I found very interesting about the original Ghost Rider comics is that, yeah, Johnny makes the deal with the devil, Satan.
1: Yeah, it's the literal
3: devil in the comic until Mm. it was retconned later.
2: Yes, and later they retconned it to this Mephistopheles who was Silver Surfer's dude, right?
3: Yeah, he appeared in Silver Surfer and then he broke up Spider Man's marriage.
2: Oh, God. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: But we will in a couple months.
2: (laughs) We probably will talk about Spider-Man's marriage, yes. But I love that Marvel was brave enough to actually print the letters in the letters column that go, You're a satanic comic. You're promoting Satanism by having Satan and Satan's angel in your comic. And I thought that was pretty ballsy in the 70s to have... So much Satanism, much like you were saying about Doctor Strange, Stuart.
1: Yeah, I was getting a little bit of Doctor Strange in the weirdness of this. That, yeah, the occult's at the forefront here again. Although, I gotta say, I don't find it nearly as exotic and alarming as I did in Doctor Strange.
3: No red penis devil. I get it. No.
2: No, instead, we get Peter Fonda, Captain America.
1: All right, I'm just going to lay it out, and I've always felt this way. Peter Fonda is a bad actor. He has (laughs) never been good. If you go back to Easy Rider and The Trip and all of that, he was bad even there. But I like the casting because it's stunt casting, because he is Captain America from Easy Rider, because he is the icon of that 60s cyclist movement. He's your best joke. You know, you get it.
3: It's like having Sam Elliott as the Western cowboy guy. Yeah, it's the obvious choice. You have to do it.
1: On the nose casting, it's perfect. But I got to say, I don't think he's particularly good here. And some of these line deliveries as he's making his deal are kind of embarrassing. That part where he's like, I'll take and looks around and goes your soul i had already said it five <laughs> seconds ago i'm like please don't be your soul please don't be yours oh god <laughs> it is as bad as i remember i love
3: him in this
1: <laughs> oh jeez,
2: i think he's a great alternative satan i mean we've seen a lot of satan in movies recently i think that my go-to may be al pacino in the devil's advocate there's so many ways to play Satan. I kind of like the laid back laconic Satan.
1: I don't mind that he's laid back. Honestly, he looks frail to me here. He looks like his easy riding has caught up with him. He doesn't look like he can move very well. And again, I don't think that he's ever been particularly talented actor. He's not selling me on these lines. It just seems like Hey, look who we dusted off after we found Sam Elliott in the (laughs) mothballs.
3: Yeah, my problem is he doesn't seem menacing. (laughs) If you're going to be the devil, shouldn't you be a little bit scary? Yeah. They kind of neuter him later in the film where his son's even scarier than him. And I've got questions about that scary sign. He doesn't scare me either. But this original appearance of the devil, when he says, I want your soul, that should feel menacing. And it doesn't. It feels corny and cheap.
1: And I think part of what doesn't aid him here is the deal that's stricken. I don't like this conflict, I always feel it's better that if someone strikes a deal with the devil, they do it for selfish reasons. They do it because they want the power. If they had set up this conflict that Johnny was going to do whatever it takes to get to Roxanne, his dad was in the way, and he made a Faustian pack so he could get Roxanne, and it ended up costing his father's life, and then he didn't want to be with Roxanne, to me, that's good drama. That shows me why he's tortured. That shows me what Johnny is trying to overcome come for the rest of the movie. The fact that he did all of this sort of, kind of, I mean, the choice was almost taken out of his hand. Before he even really had understood what was happening, blood is dripped on the contract. But it's all done because he had read that his dad had cancer that was getting worse. To me, that's just lame. I mean, that's not a choice you're going to regret. Many people would lay down their life for someone that they loved and cared about. That's not a second chance. This movie's all built on, I need a second chance. Well, you're still the same altruistic person. In
2: the extended cut, they actually have scenes where this was done for selfish reasons Mm. johnny wants to run away with roxanne his father's cancer forces him to stay and take care of his father instead of going off with roxanne who's being sent away by her father
3: you got that in the extended cut arnie yeah i did not get that at all i saw the extended cut and i was wondering he has this contentious relationship with his dad they're not always getting along he wants to run away with roxanne but he's willing to sell his soul to save his dad but then leave the next morning to go with like what you saw i didn't get any of that that i was confused why he's willing to pay such a great price for his dad but then leave him the next morning
2: he was doing it so he could leave with roxanne guilt-free and in the extended cut after the cancer is cured it's a couple of moments but there's one scene right after he reads the letter the father goes where are you going and he goes going nowhere and you get he's gonna stay with his dad but then as soon as the dad's cured with cancer he's like dad i'm leaving and dad's like, take my prize by gracie and so when the cancer's cured, Johnny's free and clear to run off with Roxanne. And then, of course, Daddy dies.
1: But that is so much better. I do want to compliment the idea of that. Even if they didn't do it well in the extended version, I didn't see it. I never will. But I feel like you need to understand that Johnny did something that was regrettable. And when I watch this theatrical cut, it really doesn't seem that way at all.
2: Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of regret. I kind of want to talk about the deal if we could. First of all, I'm with Stuart. It's like, is it really a deal if you don't mean to sign it?
3: no yeah i agree with you guys like in the comic book origin johnny goes looking for the devil he reads about the occult and how to make deals like he wants to do it in this how does the devil know there's people willing to make deals or maybe they got thin skin so their fingers will prick easily on a <laughs> spiky clipboard like it's confusing
2: i think he maybe you just know if you're going to a carnival you're at a place of sad despair
3: mm-hmm. I, that does make sense
2: <laughs> yeah. he just goes carnival to carnival then, the deal. It's kind of a problem I have with this entire movie, and it starts at the very beginning. So, as I understand it, and maybe I'm going back to, oh, God, you devil here.
1: <laughs> George Burns? We yes. need to clarify for a young George Burns is a very old man that has always been old, and he used to make movies <laughs> in the 70s about how old he was as old as God.
2: Yeah. And in one, he played both God and Satan. So, when you make a deal with the devil, the devil gets your soul. That just means when you're dead, you go to hell instead of heaven, right? And, I don't know, build up Hell's army, whatever. But that's what the soul-selling is, in my opinion. But here, Peter Fonda is like, I'm going to call on you when I need you. And I, again, think that means I'm going to kill you. But it just means Johnny now is invincible and gets to live a very long life going through crazy dangerous stunts because nothing can harm him because he's under Satan's protection. Satan's like the ultimate mob boss.
1: I didn't understand that that was true. That was a question I had when we get to the early cage scenes, was that is the reason why he's doing all these extravagant stunts is because he cannot be harmed? I didn't know whether he was invincible or just suicidal because he had nothing to live for. He knew where his afterlife was going to be.
2: It comes out, again, one line of dialogue... <laughs> watched the movie six times so i picked them all up <laughs> when johnny's running away after his father's death and he falls off his bike and he has no helmet and everything and they just stands up and Mephisopheles says i can't let anything happen to you now that you're mine And so that's why later on we see the tortured Nick Cage because Nick doesn't even know. Older Johnny Blaze is like, am I the one doing the stunts or is it the devil doing the stunts and I'm just untouchable? And the other question I have is, did Mephistopheles cause Johnny's dad to die? Was he like sitting there pulling the puppet strings or did he just because he's Satan and maybe omniscient know, hey, he's going to die this day anyway. Might as well get a free soul.
1: Oh, no, he killed him. I mean, it really tells you what kind of devil this devil is. He's like a jerk. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, It's not like he just wanted to get a cool stunt guy under his legion. He benefits nothing by killing Johnny's dad and doing that. It's just, oh, I just like irony a whole <laughs> lot. Enough to kill people. And so that's why he does it. He says he does it so that there'll be nothing between them. I guess he sees himself now as johnny's dad if this had been developed later when we meet his real son i could have gone along with it but to me it makes him look like an asshole he is the (laughs) devil though shouldn't he be an asshole (laughs) i guess you're right i mean it's never gonna be great but you know what there is something that's supposed to be attractive about this devil but in this incarnation it just (laughs) i just love
2: that johnny didn't read the contract i guess the devil was in the details he
1: pricked his finger too soon (laughs) did you take a speed reading course i don't think you could read through that contract And I don't know, I
2: guess, Jacob, I was back in Final Destination territory. Death had its plan. Barton Blaze was going to die. If not cancer, death's design took him in the motorcycle accident. Unfortunately, I feel like maybe there wasn't coverage or money for the motorcycle accident where Barton dies, but you just kind of see him going askew through a ring of fire and then crashing.
3: Lamest stunt ever to die in.
2: Yeah, I'd like to have seen a cause like you see Mephistopheles there and like the reflection of the ring of fire is in Mephistopheles eyes. I would have liked to have seen them flare up with a CGI effect and have the fire, catch him on fire or something
3: or at least you know snap his finger and a banana peel shows up in front of the tire (laughs) i
2: I would have taken anything that shows causation
3: i I gotta say the devil's just more of a jerk in the comic he just wants souls so he makes the deal with johnny hey i'll get rid of your dad's cancer your stepdad's cancer in the comic book case and your soul is mine he wants that soul as soon as possible so he cures the soul and then kills the dad and says now you know your dad's dead so now i get your soul I only said, you know, I'd cure his cancer and once he's dead, I'd get your soul. And Roxanne, with the power of love, literally with the power of love, is able to fight off Mephisto. And the devil at the last second, his his last piece of revenge binds this fire element demon to Johnny's soul. Since he can't have his soul, he's at least going to bind this demon to it that will collect the souls of evil people. He has become the avenging angel, and that's kind of his punishment for breaking the deal with the devil. Here, it's just like Johnny's dad is kind of a crappy motorcycle rider, and (laughs) has a weak constitution, (laughs) and dies from a few third degree burns.
1: It's laughable in the same way that the old people dying in Wolverine is laughable. It's like, (laughs) hey, we've done everything we're going to do. Let's walk into the next room and just get axed. You know, (laughs) okay. It's just so graceless the way that they write them out of the story.
2: Well, it is the director of Daredevil.
1: Yeah, these early scenes feel Daredevil to me. All that extended prologue with him as a kid, and all, it really does feel in many ways like the same movie in a different setting.
2: Then the last question I have about this prologue that I'm ready to ride into modern day is everything that happens enough for Johnny to leave Roxanne. I mean, she's standing by that tree where they carve their name and Johnny rides up on Gracie the bike and looks up and then he's like, eh, I'm going to leave.
1: I didn't understand that. Why? No, this is super important. The whole thing is it has to be based on an irony of you make a deal with the devil and your punishment is you get what you want. That is important to understand in any deal making. Like that's the pain that you suffer is that you get what you ask for. What had to happen was he had to make that selfish choice to get Roxanne and his selfishness kill people. And so now he can have Roxanne and he's too ashamed to go through with it now. As it's written here, there's no reason why she can't get on his hog and they can go
3: That catharsis happens way too quickly with young Johnny Blaze. I don't know any, you know, 18-year-old or whatever that could come upon that realization that quickly. It seems like he would have married her, and then 20 years later, he would have realized, I've done something terrible.
1: But he hasn't done anything terrible. He did the right thing. He self-sacrificed so his dad could not have cancer. It never seemed selfish to me.
3: He's just bad at making contracts. That's his great crime. (laughs) He didn't read The Fine print.
2: Well, really... I think the bad contract was signing Nick Cage because I feel like maybe in an earlier draft, they stuck closer to the comic. Because what I like about the comic is this all happens, but then he does run off with Roxanne, but is, you know, chased by the devil and the devil's haunting him. And yeah, his power of love with Roxanne is what gives him the ability to control the writer somewhat. Here, because we need Johnny Blaze to get really old really fast... A bunch of years have to pass, and so he just has to leave Roxanne for convenience reasons.
1: Oh, I never looked at it that way. But I had wondered, how long is it supposed to have been from him as a 17-year-old riding away to when we see Cage doing his next big trick, jumping, what, semis or something?
2: Well, what makes that even harder is, yeah, if you say they were 17 or 18 And then they grow up. Well, maybe it's the deal with the devil, but Nick Cage seems to age a lot more than Eva Mendes.
1: It's the hard living. I'm convinced. (laughs) It's, yeah, that he looks 10 years or more older than her.
2: It's exactly 10 years. Good call. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like when they're young, they're the same age. With this age difference, Roxanne should have been six. Yeah. It should have been really creepy Fantastic Four Corman stuff. But yeah, how much time passes? I wish that they could have put a time around that earliness. You know, whether they... Played some 80s music or something, some 70s music to let us know when it was to when it is. Hell, may- maybe some 90s music. I mean, Eva Mendez isn't all that old, but no, I have no idea how much time passes.
3: All right, can I compliment the movie? We're finally at a point, like 20 minutes in, where I could compliment this movie. I really dig the way they shot the stunt scene. They're obviously showing Johnny Blaze. He's Trying to deal with some kind of fear before he does the jump. You can't live in fear. You can't live in fear. Not sure exactly if he's afraid of the devil catching up with him, what he's referring to. But when he finally goes and does that jump, I just like the way it was shot where he's midair. It's very slow. The glass on his helmet, you could see the reflection of the semis pass by. I just liked how it was shot. And then the crash. When he comes down again in slow motion, isn't that why people watch like NASCAR and motocross races and this kind of stuff is to see the gore, to see the crash. I had to turn away the way his neck bends. Like I thought it was shot great. So I wanted to finally give a compliment to it.
2: Actually, the neck snapping thing was not intended. The fall was, (laughs) but the neck and the tire hitting the head and everything. Oops.
3: (laughs) Stuntman in hospital. Wow. Oh, because I flinched when I saw that. It's not an easy scene to watch. I did too, yeah.
2: Well, the stuntman lived and asked, did you get the shot? So they used it. (laughs)
3: Like a true stuntman.
2: (laughs) Now, my question about Johnny Blaze seeing this is, there's a ton of rednecks in the audience, or white trash, or what have you, cheering him on, but you said why you watch NASCARs for the crashes. Does Johnny Blaze
3: ever not crash,
2: is my question.
3: (laughs) Well, that's my question, too. Is he suicidal? Is he trying to see if he could die? Is he trying to kill himself? And he just lives every time. You know, is he trying to break that deal with the devil by killing himself and not being kept alive by him, not being this living, tortured soul? And if you frame this movie as this stuntman that cannot die. And then you present the mystery behind that throughout the film. That's kind of intriguing to me. You know, it's like Groundhog's Day. You watch Bill Murray trying to kill himself over and over and over to escape this hell that he's in.
1: I like where you're going with Jacob, but in order for that to work, we need to feel that his life is hell. Johnny Blaze's modern life does not look so bad to me. It looks crazy, but it looks like he's Michael Jackson. I mean, honestly... Because of the way this is set up, is the man suffering? He's drinking jelly beans from martini glasses. <laughs> He's watching monkey karate movies and listening to Karen Carpenter. It's not my idea of a good Saturday <laughs> night, but I don't think that it's hell.
3: Arnie, you said at the beginning, Nick Cage brings these things into the movie. You just listed the three that he brought in Monkey Karate, Jelly Beans Out of Martini Glasses, and The Carpenters. And I want to compliment this movie a second time. I love that original scene, that opening, you know, right after the stunt, they're traveling to the next town and This isn't the Johnny Blaze I picture from the comics, but if Nick Cage is going to play Johnny Blaze, he's hitting it spot on, and I like the quirkiness.
2: I have to say, when I'm watching this in theaters, no knowledge of anything that went into the making of this movie. I'm looking, I'm like, I bet Nick Cage demanded some martinis full of jelly beans.
1: Yes, I think he copped to that even in Comic-Con. I think he admitted gleefully that these were character traits that he came up with to expand the character. You know what, I feel like Cage has become Brando at this point. (laughs) Like later day Brando. He had already proved himself to be an actor And now he is the 50 foot gorilla on set that's going to do whatever he wants and no one can stop him. And I feel like this movie, in some ways, is some postmodern response to, I didn't get Superman, so damn it, I'm going to find some C rate superhero and I'm just going to go to town. It feels like Cage doing Cage as a screw you. To Tim Burton and the Superman fiasco.
2: What's really funny is I saw Cage at Comic Con in 2011 for Ghost Rider 2, and during the Q and A, first of all, he was really weird during that whole thing. Like he wouldn't sit next to anybody. He had sat at the far end of the table. If you're at Comic Con, everybody gathers to the left. Nick Cage demanded the far right seat and would not sat like three seats away from his co stars and the directors. And during the Q and A, have
3: you seen the Crank films? <laughs> I wouldn't want to be close to them either. <laughs>
2: during the Q&A, some guy comes up and asks Nick Cage, if you could play any superhero in any movie ever, what would it be? And the whole audience, you hear like this, because we all know about Superman, right? Mm-hmm. And Nick Cage just looks at the guy and gets this pissed off look and goes, Ghost Rider, because it happened.
1: well then you know to my point yeah it it really does feel like someone throwing a fit because they couldn't get what they want is what this movie feels like to me from this point forward he is uncaged he is just (laughs) going to do whatever he wants whether it helps the movie or not he doesn't care
2: from behind-the-scenes things, I can say, you're mostly right. He gave the directors everything they wanted. But then every time, he's like, now let me do a few for me. And in editing, they chose to go the Nick Cage take every time.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's known for that. I mean, that was even a battle on the one that got him the Oscar, leaving Las Vegas, is that he likes to improvise. He likes to mix it up. And, yeah, I just think that he is in hog heaven here, which makes me hard to see it as hell <laughs> for the character. I don't understand how tortured he is and if he's so suicidal and wants to die. Because I kind of got that off, the, what you're saying, Jacob. Every now and then, he'd look out the window and you see the skull and I'm like, okay, he's kind of tortured, but... Really? Not really. According to Cage, the
2: reason he's in this heaven and listens to the carpenters and everything is he's trying to retreat From the fact that he sold his soul to the devil by surrounding himself with these soothing things, but he can never escape the torture. Cage himself described it as like the soothing music you hear when you're in the dentist's chair and they're starting up the drill.
3: I love it. Didn't Karen Carpenter like die from anorexia or something? Not really a heavenly image there.
1: Yeah, it lets you know that it's sadness. Plus the song is specifically superstar. Yeah, it's poor little rich guy. But again, someone explain to me, what is he tortured about? What is haunting him?
2: He made a deal with the devil and killed his dad? Who was was going to die die anyway? Anyway?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, okay. That's the important thing. He didn't kill his dad. He did what he could to extend his life and it didn't work. To me, they're vastly different scenarios.
2: Even Mephistopheles says, the bad thing about cancer is the time it takes. So it was basically euthanasia. He
1: did a good thing. I'm not going to call it a good thing. This plot is asking me to see this conflict in a way that I cannot. I'm with you. I mean,
2: he seems to have a great life. He has fame. He has fortune. He rode off away from Roxanne of his own volition. Yeah. So I'm confused about this character as well, I have to say. And I'm not going with the jelly bean thing. I like that at one point, Donald Logue even like, no, I don't want a jelly. You know, like Donald Logue is like, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. He already dealt with Wesley Snipes and Blay. This has (laughs) got to be his personal help.
2: Then we get our villain, though. Finally, we're like a half an hour into the movie and the villain finally shows up. You'd think the villain's the devil, but no, it's his petulant son, Wes Bentley.
3: Who turns to the camera and for no reason does his little demon scream or his face. Like, I hate that. There is no reason for that to happen. It's just, oh, there's a camera zooming up on me. Let's scream. There's not people that he's screaming. Oh, I hate that.
1: (laughs) I think that entrance where he's walking across the desert, didn't they use that in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark? (laughs) (laughs) there's that whole part where these computer animated characters like come and like yeah bear their fangs and all that it felt for us it didn't feel like it was driven by the narrative i have no idea why he tore up that biker bar it's just i guess a poor way of introducing that he's a badass
3: what confused me even more was he goes to that biker bar and we get these other elemental demons one made of earth wind and water and i thought he was an ice demon because his first introduction is he freezes the beer and i thought he was giving people frostbite like i was really confused by this he is isn't he i think he was supposed to be taking their souls or something
1: no he's a cold guy
3: no he's not i thought that too though What? <laughs> oh come on
2: i can explain both of this first of all in the early scene when mephistopheles shows up at the carnival johnny blaze sees his breath so both mephistopheles and blackheart bring cold now in the extended cut it says that those people who blackheart touches and they die die of sulfur poisoning so he's putting sulfur in their blood he's not freezing them
1: yeah it's
3: confusing oh
1: yeah i never understood that it wasn't cold everything was so elemental here i figured he was the cold guy
3: even Ghost Rider is the fire element, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Now, this group, the hidden, when I first saw this in theaters, all I could think about was the finger, as Stuart calls him, from Electra, first of all. <laughs> These yeah. three D or F level tier, like, lame generic villains. This
1: is pre-Twilight, right?
3: <laughs> like, Twilight hadn't become a thing yet, right?
1: Right. Yeah. If only they had waited, maybe yeah. they would some schoolgirl's <laughs> locker but I gotta say that none of them are any Kiku <laughs> when
2: we were walking out some of the jokes Marjorie made about the hidden they were primarily about the hidden about how like they were basically lost boys ripoffs. And I look at them now as like, yeah, the D tier lost boys. What's funny though, in watching it this time, when Wes Bentley walks up to that biker outside, the biker goes, "You lost boy," and so I'm wondering if it's actually intentional, like they're trying to make them the lost boys.
3: Recording this in 2012, I gotta say, are they from Lost Boys the Tribe? Because <laughs> they're like rip offs of a rip like of something really
1: bad. I never thought about Lost Boys, but yes, they definitely were reminding me of, oh, this is what you bring into these Marvel comic book movies. I mean, I was also thinking about that gymnastic parkour people from (laughs) Punisher (laughs) Warzone. There always seems to be a circus blowing into these Marvel franchises at some point.
3: Here's the thing, Stuart. It's only with the Marvel franchise movies, because the hidden, they're not a thing in the comics. You have Blackheart, who appeared in Daredevil, the comic, and he's gone throughout different comics. He's this general demon in the Marvel universe. And you have the water element, Wallow. There's a Wallow character that became a demon created by, Blackheart, but he's not elemental. He doesn't have water powers, and the other two, if they exist in the Marvel Universe, I couldn't find anything on them. I I searched long and hard, and they stayed hidden. I thought these
2: were all made-up characters, and yeah, I googled because I couldn't wait for this recording. I had to know. And yeah, they're all made up for this movie.
1: I will say, as the non-comic book fan, they are trying to reach me as well. I instantly get what they are when you say they're the elements. You know, it took me a second to be like, oh, why one comes in under the wind. One is all wet. One is like made up of sand. It, like it just helps for people, I think, to understand what their powers are going to be who aren't superhero inclined. If you read the comics and you say a name, you know what that character is going to do. I would not. So I at least can appreciate the simplicity of making them elemental. Are you uh, saying it makes sense to make (laughs) (laughs) them elemental? (laughs) I would never say that. In fact, if I ever say that, I will just cackle and laugh like Ghost Rider because that's ridiculous. Nothing here makes sense. But I understand the impulse to reduce them to these powers, as silly as they look in execution. And they suck. Yeah, These are
2: the worst villains ever.
1: Oh, come now. Don't say ever and not think about everything that we've covered, man. These
2: are some terrible villains.
1: Yes, yeah. We walked <laughs> many miles in terrible villains and just about at any point in any of these franchises, there has been a gang of losers.
2: I think these are the worst. Now, the Earth dude, Abregore, believe it or not, Avia Rod was like, after they've already done previs and casting and everything, was like, you can't use him. Because we're making Spider-Man 3 and it has Sandman and Abregore is too close to Sandman. But they used him anyway with the compromise, he dies really quickly.
1: Mm. I was surprised that the name. That was really my only beef. It was like Abregore. I thought that was a tuna, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I couldn't understand them, you know what I mean? But-
3: to be fair, I almost did turn on the subtitles about halfway <laughs> yeah. through this film because I was missing so much.
2: Yeah. If it wasn't for wiki, I wouldn't have really known they had names. I wikied between theatrical cut and director's cut. Then on the director's cut, I'm like, oh, yeah, they say their names and they say they're the hidden once. Once, yeah.
3: And it's not on their introduction. It's It's later on in the movie.
1: So they're here. To do what? I don't want to get too deep into it, but the plot is we need this contract that went away with Sam Elliott to take over the world. That's what's what that's going to do for them.
2: Yeah, there's one scene in either cut of the movie, and it's different in both cuts of the movie, where Blackheart faces off with Mephistopheles. Yeah, In the extended cut, it's a little bit better, and it takes place during the bar scene. In the theatrical cut, it takes place later in a park.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a lot of streetlights going on and off. It makes no <laughs> sense.
2: <laughs> the extended cut, though, that scene sets it up a little bit better. That Blackheart feels shunned because Ghost Rider, the Ghost Rider, whoever it is, is Mephistopheles' favorite creation. And Blackheart feels, as Mephistopheles' son, he should be mephistopheles favorite creation and that mephistopheles should quote give him what's his which is i guess dominion over earth or hell or something and
1: maybe he just wants a flaming
3: bike <laughs> i think arnie's or something is key there because that's how he took a lot of this exposition <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: and so he is going to try to overthrow mephistopheles and to do that he needs the power of the thousand souls from san vengaza now i have one problem with this A Thousand Souls? Mephistopheles has been around for the history of mankind collecting souls. Is a thousand really going to tip that balance? I mean, we got to talk about billions of souls, right? No,
1: that's not even going to give you a down payment penthouse in hell. I mean, yeah, that's (laughs) nothing. A thousand people and the billions of people that have come and gone. It is absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's, I guess, what I'm... Trying not to go too deep into, but what's irritating me is, okay, we have a magic thing that's going to give them the power to take over the world, and it's only 1,000 souls?
2: It would almost have to be a small nation, at least, I would think.
1: That four people are going to split up? I mean, yeah, it's really lame.
2: I don't understand the hidden at all, because they're not even getting it. It would be Blackheart. Why are they helping Blackheart? All it says is they're fallen angels, so I guess they have nothing better to do, but... Clearly, neither do we. I mean, they're basically Blackheart's bitch, because he keeps setting them off one by one to die, and none of them, none of them ever appear competent. In every fight, one of them dies, none of them ever even get a lick in.
3: The only time they're competent is when they work together, so of course we're going to separate them later on.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, is they team up, and Ghost Rider appears to be in trouble, and then he kills Earth Dude immediately, and it's like, wow, they're just so weak sauce. But meanwhile, with all of this, Nick Cage and Roxanne are reunited because, of course, she went from carny worker to TV reporter. Well, they're both sideshow freaks, I guess.
3: Yeah, she seems much more like a weather girl than a major reporter. It's the cleavage.
1: And Stewart is her cameraman. They even spell it right. I'm always excited <laughs> when my name appears in a movie. It's a, kind of a rarity, I do. Like but
3: going back to Comic-Con, this is when it becomes a love story. Oh. You know, for a movie about a guy who rides a motorcycle, I would expect something fast-paced. And this movie slows the hell down. It was slow off the gate, and now it's slowing down again for Roxanne. And I, I got it by notes, rom-com. This is like a bad rom-com when you don't have those supernatural elements you know you got roxanne getting stood up at the restaurant and she's you know giving herself alcohol poisoning but in a funny way like yeah. i'm guessing arnie was loving the movie at this point
2: you're not wrong but that could just because oh! i have a thing for eva mendez <laughs>
1: i don't think there was ever a point when arnie wasn't loving this movie this is like made for arnie to like <laughs> bathe in
2: eva mendez you know i don't know why i know her i mean i've seen her in urban legends and too fast too furious she was in children of the corn five night of the roxbury all <laughs> movies i've seen
1: <laughs> of course. oh that's where i've seen her <laughs> children in the corn five
2: <laughs> it was once upon a time in mexico that really drew my attention to her mm-hmm. hitch a rom-com where i kind of fell in love with her and i was Happy to see her here, but I feel like maybe the reason I haven't seen her much since is because she's not a very good
1: actress. I don't want to put anything too much on someone that I haven't seen a lot of their work. She's terrible here. (laughs) She is terrible. I can tell you that, yes. But then again, they seem to be going for something entirely differently whenever she's on the screen. This movie becomes, yes, a comedy.
3: A romantic comedy.
1: Yeah. You're right. I mean, I kept thinking because I'm seeing this as postmodern cage that she's Lisa Marie Presley. And like, (laughs) the only reason she's not phased by all of the flaming skulls is all like, well, my dad was crazy too. So, you know, I'm going to go with it. (laughs) Nothing phases her when she finds out what's going on. She has a, a remarkable, been there, seen it all kind of attitude towards the fact that she's dating a demon on a bicycle.
2: I kind of like that about her. When she's playing the reporter, I feel she doesn't know how to do that. It comes off very high school reporter, you know, to me. But when the camera is off, I love her naturalism. I love her little smiles. When Cage is flirting with her on the bike, you know, talking to Stuart, she never comes across pissed. She comes across like flattered and a little bit giddy like schoolgirl. I like her performance during those scenes.
1: Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The only other movie I've seen with her in it also had Cage. It was Bad Lieutenant 2. They actually made a (laughs) second one of the Harvey Keitel one. There's a sequel? There is a sequel. We could do the series if you're interested. It's actually a great load of evil fun. The way that you seem to be enjoying uh, the badness of this movie... I kind of enjoyed that here. And they really do have sort of a fun, junky, messed up chemistry in that movie. They work for me in that movie. So I was hoping that that goodwill would translate to this movie, but uh uh. I
2: find it very convenient that she comes back into Cage's life right at the time that Blackheart comes out of the earth for whatever reason. I wish there was a causation for the coincidences. Like it was all Satan's design or something mm. that like Satan knows he's going to become the ghostwriter. So Satan calls up Roxanne's boss and says, hey, Roxanne used to know Johnny. Have her get an interview. Something to show a reason why all of this seems to happen at once.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. It's all convenient that it is now and that it's taken so many, maybe decades to happen. Looking at Cage, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't buy him as anything younger than a uh, late thirties and that's being kind.
2: But he does write up next to her, asks if she likes Italian. I know. And that terrible southern accent.
1: <laughs> Why give a good line reading when you can give <laughs> your own? <laughs>
2: But that is when Mephistopheles shows up, leaving Roxanne, yes, as Jacob said, to get alcohol poisoning. She just carries a magic eight ball around in her purse. Yeah,
1: again, these kind of jokes doesn't even fit here. I guess I'm just grateful that there's no playground fight. You know, it's bad. But then when I go back to Electra and Daredevil, I'm like, it could be worse. So I guess just by having the perspective of where I've come from, it isn't annoying me as much.
2: But on the plane it was because you hadn't gone through that fire.
1: Yes, pretty much.
2: So Mephistopheles shows up. Now, he has Johnny's soul, right? And so Johnny's like, I won't do it. Devil says a deal's a deal. But then the devil says something again. I I just don't understand why. Maybe there's something cut. I don't get it. He goes, but if you do this for me, I'll give you back your
1: soul. I didn't even catch that. I didn't even know that that was what could happen. I
3: think the point was that becoming the Ghost Rider wasn't part of the deal because at the prologue prologue, it talks about the Ghost Rider being the devil's bounty hunters And this just meant the devil owned his soul, that he was going to take it to hell. How he knew he'd become a great motorcyclist, I don't know. But that's how I took it was, here, I'll I'll make you a different deal. You do this Ghost Rider thing for me, and you'll get to keep your soul.
2: I would have liked it if that was said, because I'd like that idea. Like, I already own your soul, but you've become such a great stunt rider. You'd be perfect for this, so I'll make you a second deal that reneges the first deal. I would have loved that
1: it's not in here. I didn't even understand these complexities. I thought he was cashing in. He makes that. I'm cashing in on an investment. I thought that this was it. I didn't know that Ghost Rider was going to get to go free after he took care of Blackheart. I never understood it that way.
3: It's again, one line, but it's in there. Well, and that one line makes the ending even more confusing, but we'll get there. Does
2: the devil not have a bounty hunter for 150 years in between? I mean, I would have loved it if there had been a succession of ghostwriters, ghostwriter Sam Elliott wrote off, other ghostwriters come. We have like a piss poor Ghost Rider, who, I don't know, he's on a Vespa, and Blackheart kicks his ass and kills him, and now it's time for the next rider to be called. I mean, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something.
3: One of the things I love about the comics, and one of the recent runs, is they do have that secession of ghost riders, and they have, like, a smoky and the Bandit, like, truck driver ghost rider, that goes after demon corrupt cops. So, <laughs> I'm there with you, Arnie, like, there's so much fun they could have had with this goofy concept, and no.
2: Skateboard ghost rider yes i would have i mean seriously i just wanted more why here a lot of crap is happening and i can tell you what happened as i did in my plot summary but i can't tell you why anything is happening and that kind of pisses me off
3: oh it's a huge problem for me in this movie i don't know any of the whys they keep raising concept and it just multiplies as the film goes on as the plot thickens the whys multiply and, and i'm just more and more confused
1: but then
2: finally Finally, finally, like 45 minutes in the original movie, 50-some minutes in the extended cut. Wow.
1: Yes, 50 minutes. Oh, God. That's incredible. You can do that if it's Batman, but you can't (laughs) drag it out for Ghost Rider. We need that early.
2: We finally get our Ghost Rider. And I'm going to say, in theaters, I thought he looked terrible. At home, I think he looks pretty good. I think they tweaked the graphics between theatrical and home release. You know, they do that. Sometimes they got to get it out. You know, they've only been working on two years. Obviously, the effects aren't done. But One of the jokes Marjorie said when we were leaving is like he looked like the shrunken head dude from Beetlejuice in some scenes. Like the head kept changing sizes scene to scene.
3: Oh, that's still in there. I still noticed it a few times. They must have used some prosthetic thing with these really wide shoulders. And then when they go to shots with cage and CGI on the head, it looks more normal proportions. It doesn't look as bad as I remember it looking. When I saw the trailers, there still are some awful shots. Like when he's on the motorcycle, there's some awful green screen shots here. Yeah, it's bad. I think the
2: worst was are when it's Nick Cage's head, though. Like when he's quite obviously on a rig outside the van, just not even on a motorcycle. <laughs> I think that's far worse than anything we see with the Ghost Rider.
1: How did they do the effect? Because when he moves, it doesn't feel like motion capture to me. I would have thought that that's the way that they they would have gone so that it looked organic. When Ghost Rider moves. But it looks totally CGI created without a human model.
2: It's a combination of puppetry. Some scenes they have like puppet hands when he has to touch something. And a person with a big, like, green screen cone like you put on a dog so he doesn't chew his own wounds over their neck. And then they just CGI'd the head.
1: Maybe that was what was interrupting their movements. Because I all I can say is the movements aren't fluid. He doesn't move like a human being. Yeah, it's a person in every scene. And in most cases, the
2: commentaries say, oh, we tried to use Nick Cage wherever it is. The skull is apparently they X-rayed Nick Cage's head, and that is Nick Cage's skull.
1: I have no doubt that he (laughs) went that far.
2: (laughs) And... They say that's his voice along with another voice actor there. Maybe there was a contractual thing because it doesn't sound like him at all. And they say they tried to use him wherever possible. Now, when I saw him at Comic-Con, Nick Cage is like, I'm happy about Spirit of Vengeance because I finally get to play Ghost Rider. I wanted to last time and they used the stunt man, and I wanted to be the Ghost Rider. Well, this time I'm the Ghost Rider. So most of the time it's not Cage, but it is a person with a big green mask. Not all the time. A lot of the motorcycle shots, there's no real people.
1: More problem than I have with the look. Why didn't they go with Cage's voice?
2: I don't think you'd want to see the Ghost Rider move his jaw and hear, put down the bunny. You know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I can't understand what he's saying. (laughs) When he speaks, I don't know that they are words in English.
2: It's hard, and fortunately, he's a man of few words.
1: Yeah, not that he's reciting Shakespeare, but that took me out more than the look of the thing, which I'll always be a little bit kinder, I think, than most of the hosts here about special effects being what they are for the time that they're made. But really, the voice was a killer for me.
2: I would have liked to have seen him do some Shakespeare, like he removes his own head, and oh, poor York, I knew him, Horatio.
1: (laughs) maybe the sequel
3: Stuart, come on christopher nolan's running with the incomprehensible villain character
1: for bane and dark knight rises i'm dreading that actually i hope they do fix that in the overdub i'm hearing about these problems
2: well the Ghost Rider is supposed to have a demonic voice i think they went a little too far with it
1: he's speaking in tongues that's a
3: religious thing
2: i want to know after he transforms he whistles for a bike how does a man with no lips whistle
1: i don't know but you know what the bike was at comic-con and i'll give you this i'm not even like a gearhead but it's a pretty sweet bike they got that part right
2: i'm gonna just out myself anyone who listens to marvelicious toys knows this no matter what i think about this movie i love the Ghost Rider look here i love the bike here and i bought a several hundred dollars replica of nick cage ghost rider on this movie bike
1: oh my god Wow. Okay. It's good, though. Yeah. And it's not about the
2: movie. I wouldn't buy Blackheart, but I love the look of this Ghost Rider. I think they got it dead on. Much better than Affleck's Daredevil.
3: The leather and chain S&M look, yeah, it makes more sense, you know, when you're actually a demon from hell. Or a biker. Or a yeah. biker,
1: one of the sure, two- yeah. I mean, the Hell's Angels. I mean, there's a long history of seeing people and hogs as being agents of Satan. I don't think that this comic revolutionized that, but they got the bike look right, both before it caught on fire and after. I totally dug all that.
2: And he goes and he kills the Earth, dude, really easily. Hey, dirt bag! And I'm groaning when he does speak. I don't want him to. I hear you, but not him. <laughs> and then another scene that I just again the why he fights Blackheart, kills one of his minions, and then just goes for a ride and stops a random mugging.
1: Because this, I know. Is there a superhero franchise that does not have the classic guy stops mugger scene? (laughs) That is, if you wanted to typify what these movies do, you always, 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 in order to prove the heroicism of your main character, he can be a flaming skull from hell but we still know he's the good guy because he's going to save some poor woman from a rapist, mugger, or thief. This is more of the
3: spirit of Ghost Rider, is that's what he did. He went out and he found evil people and he burned them up and sent their souls to hell for the devil. I mean, that was his gig. So it makes sense that he's finally, you know, however many hours into this extended cut that he's doing it, he's finally doing what Ghost Rider's supposed
1: to do. I see. Okay. Well, yeah, this did seem like, They really had something here with the penance stare and how he plays back for you, your greatest hits of criminal activities. And that it leaves the people with those embers in their eye sockets, all of that. I like it conceptually.
2: I do, too. I just don't like because it feels out of place. You know, if we had a montage of Ghost Rider cleaning up the streets, it would be random, but I'd go with it. But because this is his only non-plot-driven thing and it's just there because we got to set up this penance and steer,
3: right i figured it was because he's driving by and there's evil going on and that was just his job so
2: in whatever city this is this is the only evil he happens to drive by in a dingy part of town
3: i'll give you that you know this film seems like an easy target so i'm trying to give it something <laughs>
1: And again, I want to stress, non-comic book people are probably wondering at this point, if they're still awake and sitting in the theater, (laughs) and they're waiting for the love story moments to start back, they're wondering, is this guy someone I should like or not? And this scene tells them, yes. It's the first scene in the movie that tells you he's a good guy.
2: Now, let's talk about the goth chick. (laughs) I feel like we have to, because she was in every trailer with her head was on fire. (laughs) Kind
3: of thing. I thought she was funny.
1: Yeah. Again, I wonder why they went for such broad comedy here. It's sitcom. But, I mean, her timing is right. I mean, she's selling what the lines are in the correct way.
2: Turns out she would end up being in one of the biggest movies of last year. She was in Bridesmaids.
1: Oh. So she is a comedian.
2: Yeah, she's a stand-up comedian from Australia where Ghost Rider was filmed. But I don't know. I'm the comic book guy, and I'm wondering what movie I'm watching when she's doing that face thing. But yet, I find her amusing.
3: I always like when like these weird, unexpected huge events are downplayed in comedy like that like it, it could be this massive explosion oh yeah it was like a teeny fine and her timing's right so it works i like the juxtaposition there like how else are you gonna explain that this fire demon came and burned this mugger and saved your life. Like, it's kind of hard to explain.
1: Yeah, she might have taken it one step too far when she flashes the gang sign, but... I
3: love that! I love that she does this awkward, like, vampire goth pose or something at the end. That was great.
1: Again, in the context of the larger movie, I'm wondering what it is I'm trying to consume here. It's a directorial problem, and it's one I had at Daredevil. I do not feel like the man is in control of the way that the movie is working. It feels all over, and that Uh, The actors are taking it away from him and doing whatever the hell they want, and he's not stopping them.
2: And then the Ghost Rider rides off, and again, I wish I understood some whys, he wakes up at a graveyard. Now, a few things about this graveyard. A, it's the graveyard where his father is buried. B, it's the graveyard where Sam Elliott works. See, why did the Ghost Rider go there? Did he go for the caretaker? Was he wanting to visit his father? I thought he was drawn there, and
1: I thought it was beyond his control. Is he still in the same town where his dad died? Uh, That part I wasn't sure on. And what town is it? It's (laughs) Dallas, right? It's never stated.
2: It's somewhere west.
1: It's always in Texas somewhere. Okay. Who knows where?
2: Melbourne.
3: Melbourne, Texas, yeah. Is that where it's filmed?
2: Yes, uh, with pickups in Vancouver. Mm.
3: What I don't understand even more is why once he gets to this graveyard scene, meets Slade, it's explained he's only ghostwriter at night and normal during the day because evil never happens during the day. Like, all that white-collar crime with Enron and stuff, that only happened late at night.
2: (laughs) Like,
3: I get it's a plot device, so there could be some weaknesses shown with Ghost Rider, but it's stupid.
2: I can't remember. Is that from the original comic, or? No.
3: When there's evil, he flames on and takes care of it.
2: Hmm. It reminds me, honestly, this whole thing, a little bit of the Hulk, we'll be getting to in just a couple weeks, because it's like, when evil's around, or whenever he gets pissed off, he then transforms into this monstrous creature, and for a while, the Hulk would transform into the Hulk only at night, during Peter David's run. So, I was getting a Hulk vibe off of a lot of this.
3: It just doesn't make sense if that's your thing to avenge evil. And I guess maybe I'm bringing that into the comic. Here, he's Ghost Rider to get Blackwater and just happens to stop a mugger. But it just doesn't make sense. I Like I said, the confusion is going to start really growing in the second hour for me. As they try to explain more and more, their answers just spawn more questions.
1: I actually am going to agree with you on this. The first half of the movie is the stronger half. From this point on, I get confused about sequentially when things even happen.
2: I disagree. The first half can't be the better half. The better half is when ghost rider shows up the first half of the movie doesn't have ghost rider how is it the better half
3: arnie all i'll say is this second half i knew this because of that little white envelope from netflix said two hours seven minutes <laughs> and about every 30 seconds my eyes flashed that clock to see my two minutes and seven minutes were up during the second half it was painful
2: i'm sorry but the whole Carney thing i mean it's expository and needed i just i can't consider it the better half Uh,
1: no let me be clear i'm not saying it's good i'm saying (laughs) at least it's coherent i'm understanding sequentially how things are happening even if i'm not agreeing with them after this point i look at my notes and i can't even really tell what is happening until the climax it's just kind of chaotic and that's my problem.
3: Now we're finally getting to the action and I'm bored. That's mm. a problem for me, especially with an action movie, superhero movie, that third act. That's when just all the shit hits the fan and it's not keeping my attention. Yeah.
2: See, this is when the Nick Cageisms start to work for me. Like, when he's getting his arm fixed and the caretaker says, sterilize this, and Nick Cage, like, tries to shoot flames out his fingers, I'm enjoying the Nick Cage performance post-flame-on. And this is when the action really kicks in, and I go with it. I mean, let's go through this, because what happens next is he goes out to try to get back with Roxanne— But the police are after him because they think the Ghost Rider killed all those people in that bar.
3: They're investigating the scene at the train station where the Hidden first showed up and he fought them. And they're like, obviously this is religious nuts because there's Sulphur here. I'm like, huh? Sulphur and brimstone? Like, this is stupid. That was cut from the theatrical release and Rightly So. Well, Stuart, you're lucky.
1: I'm not. Because <laughs> I still thought the movie. But for me, it's typified by the moment that all of a sudden, at one point, a priest is being confronted by Blackheart about, We know you have the scroll. I'm like, I even, I know that Sam Elliott has the scroll here. Like, honestly, <laughs> who was that priest that showed up for a half a second?
2: Again, it's all one lines, but at the train station, the train station used to be a graveyard. Got that part. So they moved the thing and they asked that guy they randomly kill at the train station, Well, who? Who knows where the graves are now?
3: That was moved 120 years ago. And the random guy at the
2: train station happens to know his graveyard history and says, oh, it was handled by St. Michael's Church. And so they kill him for the information. The priest is over at St. Michael's. Never
1: established, I don't think. Okay.
3: No, they don't call it out as St. Michael's. Like, I had to think back. Why are they in this? Oh, yeah. They said the graveyard was moved and the church would know. It's something I had to think back and
1: do some thinking on to figure out. Yeah. I wasn't willing to do more work than the screenwriters were. My point is that it feels random at this point. All of a sudden, he's arrested. I didn't know why. I didn't see that they had built a case for it. She's with him, and then she's not with him. Then she comes back to apologize, but she's still leaving him. I'm just like, this is just a mess at this point.
3: You say that you know Slade has the map. That's not a secret. Like, that was my problem with the whole prologue prologue. That reveals all these revelations that come at the end of this film, that he has the map, that he's actually a ghost. Like, well, we already saw that at the beginning. Why do we have that? If you're going to tell us that all over again, and it's going to boil the surprises for you at the end.
1: Yeah, surprise, Sam Elliott's career hasn't gone so bad that he's playing a cameo as just a grave digger. He actually plays into the part. Good for Sam. I'm glad it still matters that, yeah, we know that he's got the scroll, and we don't know why Mephistopheles doesn't know he has the scroll or where to find him, but... Because no. he's on hollowed
3: ground and they can't go onto hollow ground for some reason, even though they can at the end. I don't know. Oh, I, really? I didn't know that. Okay.
2: Well, they only go on hollow ground in the extended cut. And Blackheart says he doesn't follow those rules.
1: So it's confusing in both cuts. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is turning into another daredevil situation where you can see a longer version, but you can never see a better version. <laughs> All right. And then here's where we really get to the scenes I like,
2: though. Johnny gets arrested. And, of course, he's put in where there's all the crime, so he ghostwriters
3: out. Liked it. I'm with you. I'm liking the scene.
1: Yeah, it's, it was a decent scene, yeah. Guy wanted his $10 back for the show. It's funny that all these people in prison are, like, really Johnny's fans. I thought that was kind of a good joke. I think there's a comment made
2: about his fans subtly in this whole movie. If you look at the yes. audience who goes to his shows. <laughs> yes.
3: That's what the elite Hollywood people think of you NASCAR <laughs> and motocross fans. Yeah.
2: <laughs> And then he spikes out his outfit, so his outfit gets even more badass. And then comes the big chase, which I think is just so much fun. Him chased by a whole bunch of cops in a flaming bike, and he goes underwater, and he goes up a building. And I think it's a well-done, well-shot action scene.
3: It's an action scene. Yeah. It's just not holding my attention. Like, the fact that they surround him and shoot bullets... And I know they rectify this in the one we're going to be reviewing next week, because I've seen the trailer. He doesn't, like, shoot the bullets back. He just shoots fire at him. Like, there's no creativity here. It's like, oh, he can ride up the side of a skyscraper in the comic, so let's show that scene. like, you're doing a movie. You have special effects. You got millions of dollars. Show us something cool. I think him going up the building is cool. I just don't think it's creative. It's expected. It's like showing Superman fly. That's cool. It's like showing a bullet bounce off Superman's eyeball. That's cool. But it's expected, too. There's... Telling me what I could get out of the comic. This is a big budget Hollywood movie. Give me something more or else I could just read the comics for three or four bucks a piece.
1: I'll be honest, I'd never like this storyline in a superhero series. I know that it is inevitable and that they all have this of the police person that's trying to catch him or the Jay Jameson that is trying to catch the good guy and it's right under their nose. And like, I just don't want to see cops chasing Ghost Rider. You've told me this story is about Peter Fonda and devils and demons, and that's what I want to see. So all of this, the cops are chasing him, just seems like a waste of time. We know the cops aren't going to get him. He's Ghost Rider.
2: I don't disagree with that. It never pays off. He won't hurt the cops because he's a good guy, so right. he ropes in the chopper, which would probably cause a chopper to crash, I would think, and just says, you're pissing me off, and then the guy flies away.
1: Yeah, the guys hit him, and he gives him the finger wag. I mean, mm-hmm.
2: oh, That's a little bit lame. I didn't like it. I don't like it when Ghost Rider tries to be jokey. Whenever he does the finger wag, when he flips off the cops, when he says, hey, dirtball, none of that works for me. But just overall, I like having the action scene here. I like the bike going up. It's visually stimulating, even though it doesn't fulfill the story. And then he takes out Abrigor really easily and here Abrigor reminds me of the androgynous vampire from fright
3: night 2
1: <laughs> that's bell i forgot about Bell. i, I could see it a little bit yeah it's the air one
3: that that he what makes a hot cyclone and evaporates him or something i don't
1: know you can't catch the wind but you can make a flaming tornado apparently <laughs>
2: is that your review of this movie it's a flaming tornado
1: (laughs) i I don't think cage would disagree actually that's kind of how he lives his life
2: and then we get to the final scene now this i have a problem with the final showdown blackheart kidnaps roxanne after poor donald loge donald loge I said it in Blade. I liked Donald Logue. I liked him on Knights of Prosperity. I liked him on ER. I liked him in Blade. He just gets the most unglorified death. It doesn't even have a good special effect. He looks like a cardboard standee.
1: No, I don't understand why they did him in this way. Ghost Rider's not even upset about it. It really is a non-event that the mechanic gets killed.
2: He kidnaps Roxanne, so Johnny has to get the contract to take to Blackheart. It works for me. I'm getting a lot of blade off of this, not just cause Donald Logue's here, but this is feeling all like La Madre all over again here. And he goes to Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott's like, I got the contract in my shovel the whole time.
1: (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Yeah, who didn't know that was coming?
2: Gives it to Nick Cage. Out comes the flaming horse. And I'm like, all right, this is cool. There's ghost riders now. I'm going with this. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And
2: he's like, I got enough in me for one last ride. And San Vanganza's 500 miles from here. And they go. And it's a very cool scene of them going. I, again, like it visually. It's actually, I learned, based off of a David Mann painting that has nothing to do with the comic book ghost Rider, but was actually called ghost Rider because david mann did a lot of harley paintings it's very striking and then they get there and the character is like that's all i have i have to go now
3: and this is where the whys are piling up why did he have one more ghost Rider moment in him why does he just fade away why did like, yeah. why 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 this doesn't make sense stop giving me
1: answers that
3: don't answer anything
1: I want to just backtrack and understand that so back in, you know, the Pony Express era, he was the one riding around doing Mephistopheles work, right? Yes. And then decides at the last minute he's not going to fulfill that contract and outruns Mephistopheles and runs off to...
2: Hallowed Ground.
1: Yeah, the cemetery somewhere else far away... And Satan does not get another ghostwriter for over a hundred years.
2: Well, we don't know that for sure. I mean, there could have been others, but we don't know of them. That's for the okay.
1: prequel, Stuart. <laughs> uh, okay, nothing about Carter really ever paid out for me. You did not need this character in here at all.
2: I feel like Carter Slade would have been the chance for the Hidden to show that they were badass and to give Carter a fight. Instead, him just riding away like that, it's like, I mean, why did he go? Was San Vanganza, did no one know where it was, and he had to show Nick
3: Cage the way? He had to give Johnny the advice to stay in the shadows. Yeah, that was it. Like, he couldn't have told him that before he left. Mm -mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, he could have just lived on forever in that graveyard, but instead he rides off and fades away, and I wish he'd have gone further. I wish there was a point to him coming. I mean, it's a great scene, but I wish it had a reason for being there.
3: Yeah. Because David Goyer read about the Caretaker in Ghost Rider comics and wanted to fit him in there.
2: That's in the comics? I I would not have put this in the comics.
3: There is a character called the Caretaker who is part of a group called The Blood, which is a mystic organization that fights evil. He's not a Ghost Rider. He's just a magic man that can fight devils.
1: You know, Goyer did the same thing to Chris Christopherson and Blade. They just kill him off. There was very little point. It's here to give seasoning, but it's the same damn thing. You know, now that we've met our redneck quota, we're going to get rid of him. We're not going to give him a fight. And I think that's a real mistake.
2: And then the next fight makes no freaking sense. Sam Elliott rides off. Now, Blackheart said, meet me in San Venganza. I'm taking your girl to San Venganza. Bring me the contract of San Venganza. And then Wallow tries to kill Ghost Rider. Now, in the extended cut, it's actually given a reason. In the theatrical cut, I'm like, this makes no freaking sense why this is happening. It's an obvious soundstage. It looks terrible.
3: I got to say, I think this is probably the first scene I ever saw when it was on TV. And I watched for about 10 seconds. I'm like, this looks like crap. Flip.
2: <laughs> it took me back to Man-Thing, really. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was like in a swamp all of a sudden. And Australian swamp, I'm expecting Man-Thing to show up,
3: really. And no bloody titties.
2: <laughs> yeah, no bloody titties. Now, in the extended cut, it's at least said that Blackheart is afraid of the rider, but dawn is approaching, and Wallow has to go stall the ghost rider. And Wallow's like, what? He- he's gonna kill me. And Blackheart's like, go do it
3: anyway. Yeah, it's not obvious that he's just gonna boil him away. <laughs> how, is that how he died? Yes, he boiled him.
1: I didn't understand anything <laughs> about these moments.
3: He evaporates and goes into the air and becomes an air demon, I
1: guess. And I guess he becomes an now. Yeah, It's
3: a cycle of life for
1: demons. No, that fight scene is where I just realized Ghost Rider will win any fight because Ghost Rider is the good guy and it's like when you play with the child and they're like, I have the power! You know, they always just make up a rule and they get to win the game. This is what it is. Ghost Rider is submerged in water that should quench any flames possible. No, he can make flame and that's that. He's just Ghost Rider. They're not even trying anymore. I'm going to walk in and the characters will fall. You're right. What's frustrating about this hidden gang is not that they are absurd which they are but really that they put up no fight whatsoever
2: yeah if they killed sam elliott i would have mm-hmm. thought that they were badass right yeah and so they get to san venganza the contract happens and again i'm back in blade west bentley gets the demons the same way that steven dorf got la madra
1: well, I'm back in Exorcist 3. Did, he did the whole quote. I am Legion for we are many. If it wasn't for Exorcist
2: 3, I wouldn't have understood this quote today. When this happened in the movie, I'm like, don't you guys read the Bible?
3: This is straight. Legion <laughs> was a person that was possessed by hundreds of devils and Christ cast them all out and they possess pigs and go run off a cliff. You just study your Bible,
1: guys. No, I'll study my Exorcist Three. George C. Scott taught me. (laughs) I just
2: thought, I'm now Legion, I'm not Blackheart anymore, I am Legion, and oh no, it's a biblical quote about possession. Now, uh, thank you, Stuart, I understand it.
1: Yeah. They've been grafting on a little bit. I mean, during this time, yeah, Nick Cage actually was reading the Bible. He was studying up on the end of days. And it's kind of like Daredevil and how there was a nun in one shot (laughs) and a a guy in a church. You know, it's like they are vaguely getting to some spiritual themes, but not really. Again, here's some more whys. So... We see earlier, Johnny
3: Blaze, he's reading in his satanic verses or whatever that he can try to control the demon within him. We see him light some candles. And by the way, he doesn't have a shirt on. Was that Nick Cage's real body?
1: Probably. I can believe that he committed. Wow.
3: That was impressive. So we get this theme that he's going to be able to possess. The demon, instead of the demon possessing him. And then we also have Sam Elliott's words of wisdom to stay in the shadows. And of course it's day. So I didn't understand we get these scenes where he's fighting. He turns back into Johnny Blaze, but he's able to turn his hand into a Ghost Rider hand and turn the gun into a Ghost Rider gun. Was that him possessing the demon or was that he put his hand into some shade? And so it turned into the skeleton. Like I didn't understand
2: Yeah, the hand went into a shadow.
3: So what was the whole point of possessing the demon and using the powers while still being Johnny Blaze? He did possess the demon,
2: and he was able to use the powers, but he has to be the Ghost Rider, which he can only be if the sun isn't on him. So I guess he should have fought indoors or something. That's the whole thing I don't like about the nighttime thing is, is it nighttime or is it sunlight? sunlight it's the
3: shade he just walks around with an umbrella and he can fight anyone goes with a little parasol yes (laughs) i mean him and the penguin should totally team up but we get the pen and stare
2: i will give him this i don't like legion or blackheart or whatever but i do like that now that he has a thousand souls the pen and stare will work earlier it didn't work because blackheart didn't have a soul i thought you know it was set up poorly because it wasn't organic to the story but it was set up It paid off. I didn't see it
1: coming. You know whose soul I hated seeing burning was Wes Bentley. I thought he was the best thing about American Beauty. Where's he been? Like, this is the second thing I've ever seen him in, and it took him eight years to get another gig. Really? This is the best he could do?
2: Apparently, he's very selective, is what they said in the commentary. (laughs) He only likes to do small indie stuff, but for some reason, perhaps his rent was due. He wanted to play the villain in a big budget film.
1: Well, he deserved better than this. He really did. I...
2: I didn't even put the two together when I first saw this in theaters. and This time I'm like, wow, it's him. I've only seen him in American Beauty as well, though.
3: So, Mistopheles shows up after the big fight and says, I'll take the curse back from you. And Johnny says, no, I'm going to use it against you to avenge evil and send their souls to hell, which is what Mistopheles would want anyway, is more souls (laughs) in hell. Like, I don't understand why Mistopheles is so pissed off that he's going to stay the Ghost Rider. Like, the dude created
1: the Ghost to get souls, and he's going to use the power to get souls. Well, maybe he's just being the devil. Maybe he makes cage think that he doesn't want that to happen in (laughs) fact you know don't throw me into the briar patch kind of thinking here i'm like you're doing exactly what i built you to do but you think you're fighting me Uh, i don't has he ever had a loyal servant i mean sam elliott ran away with the scroll this guy's not going to be listening to him maybe you ought to rethink uh, your hiring practices
2: (laughs) well it did say in the thing that sam elliott did what no ghostwriter had done before and betrayed mephistopheles so this is only two bad ones and
3: started a trend yeah
2: (laughs) bad influence as for the speech i just took it as he was going to try to stop the spread of evil and use the power for good instead of using the power for evil he would help the innocent with the power rather than do whatever satan wants him to do stop satan from being overthrown
3: so he like kill a gang member before he could recruit other gang members and create more bad people for souls to go down i don't understand
2: i think it's just the irony again irony of taking something the devil created and using it to protect the innocent
3: I get that that would be cool, but ultimately the ends are the same.
2: Well, I think part of the problem is Nick Cage wrote that little speech himself, and I think he did it after watching The Three Amigos, because it's like, (laughs) wherever there is suffering, we'll be there. Wherever liberty is threatened, you will find the Ghost Rider. But then he leaves Roxanne again. This whole movie, he's like happy. He finally got Roxanne back. But now he's given the chance to have Roxanne and have the curse lifted and have his soul back. No, I'm going to leave Roxanne. I'm going to leave everything behind and I'm going to go use Hellfire to do this mysterious avenging.
3: I mean, even in the comic, he settles down with Roxanne, and they have a couple of kids and run a carnival themselves, but he still fights evil carnies on the side. They could coexist. He could be the ghostwriter and a family, man. You don't have to leave her again.
1: She's a reporter. I mean, she needs to get in on it. It's like, oh, you know about some criminal activity? Let me get the story, and then you throw the flaming snowball.
2: Yeah, she could be the Lois Lane or maybe the Peter Parker, because Peter Parker always yeah. was there. But yeah, that would have been a good thing.
1: Honestly, I didn't take it like he was really leaving her. I took it that he was leaving to go on a ride i wasn't (laughs) convinced that he wouldn't be back i mean it does end with them at the tree it was not conclusive to me how it would go on for i guess any of them
2: again it's not explained in the movie in the commentary what is said is the police are looking for johnny blaze they think johnny blaze is a murderer so johnny blaze has to go underground and has to leave her behind Mm. i I didn't get that out of the movie though i got that out of the commentary and we know he did leave her behind because eva mendez didn't return for next week's sequel Oh. So I'm in ultimate suspense. (laughs) Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Ghost Rider, Jacob?
3: I'm going to start with a quote from Ghost Rider, but I'm going to say it normal so Stewart understands. (laughs) Sorry, all out of mercy. There are a few moments, and I stress just small moments, of this film that I enjoyed. I enjoyed, like I said... The introduction to growing up Johnny Blade and and the weird quirkiness that Cage brought with that. Some of just the way some of the stunts were shot I thought were neat. I liked the comedy of the goth girl that was reporting on the mugging. But overall, like for a movie about a demon on a motorcycle – I pretty much shouldn't there just be Metallica playing and like this guy like driving around doing crazy stunt setting stuff on fire and like fighting bad guys like demons. Hey, I
2: kind of liked the soundtrack. We had some Ozzy. We
3: had. We did. I mean, they did a little bit, but going back to what Stuart said at Comic Con, it's a love story. Like, I really feel like they wanted to do a love story here. Like, every time Roxanne was here, this movie, the brakes were slammed on. And it's like, <laughs> let's do a rom com now. That's how I really felt. This movie is way too too slow. For me, there should be some kind of relationship between the material and the way it's presented. You know, Ghost Rider, motorcycles, flames. Like, I want the movie to embody that spirit, and this does not. It's slow and boring. The action, for the most part, it's just mediocre. Like I said, I was watching the clock more than I was watching the screen during that second half, during that third act when I should have really been involved. So I'm going to say not recommended. And again, to quote the movie, if you're flipping through channels and you see this on, put The Monkey Show back on. (laughs)
2: all right let's go to the monkey show (laughs) stewart
1: well you know the themes of this movie are all about facing your fear and are there really second chances this is my second time watching ghost rider and so yes i was afraid to return i was going to have to face my fear of this movie It is not as titanically awful when you put it in perspective of the rest of the Marvel Universe and the movies that I have watched, which may mean more about the other movies that I've seen that I may be commenting more on Howard the Duck and Man-Thing than I am about Ghost Rider, but it does not seem as terrible as it did to me on that plane ride, and I was wishing it to crash, but... Can it jump the chasm between being the worst movie I've ever seen to something I'd recommend? Absolutely not. Nobody can make that jump, and certainly not Gonzo Cage. I mean, I think I could recommend it if you just like to see Cage be a nutball. He certainly fulfills that quota and then some here. And I think that this is better than Nick Fury and Daredevil and some of this crap I have been watching But it is still, yes, a terrible movie. I guess the biggest compliment I can give it is it is merely terrible and not one of the worst in the Marvel Universe. But it's easily bad, and I cannot say that I'm revving my engine for more. I'm very afraid of giving Ghost Rider a second chance next week, but I'm contractually required to. So strong not recommend, but not the strongest. And me, you know, I had a hard time with this one. What? I mean, I know this movie's not good. (laughs) How would you not recommend this? This is, like, custom made for you.
2: If I go out and buy a Twinkie, and it's full of air, and it's not good for me, but it was made for me, do I recommend you eat a Twinkie? That's the problem here. There's so much wrong with this movie, but yet, on just a pure base level, it gives me thrills. It's, ooh, Skull on Fire. Ooh, I love the cover of Ghost Rider in the Sky by Spider-Bait. It's so much here that I have fun with. I mean, I watched this movie six times in one week for this podcast. Six times! (laughs) And I was not clawing off my own face to a skull head by the end of the sixth time. But I don't respect this movie. It asks too many questions that are never answered. It's nonsensical. I'd recommend it as a music video, but I can't recommend it as a feature film.
1: Wow. I just can't. I'm stunned. I'm honest to God stunned. You have been talking so much about how excited you were to do this one. And you seem to enjoy so much. But I'm glad to know that you know the difference between terrible (laughs) and awesome. And I wish Cage would learn it as well.
2: (laughs) I mean, if I did recommend it, and it's a fine line. It's such a weak not recommend. If I'd recommended it, it would have had to have gone into the guilty pleasure code Like I put some other movies. Because, I mean, it's not well written it's not well acted
1: oh everyone understands it's terrible but (laughs) the question is do you think it's awesome and i think that differentiation is hard for cage i really don't think that he knows the difference
2: i think it has awesome moments but there's so much that isn't awesome which is primarily when most people are talking, which is most of the movie. The the rom-com moments didn't work for me, maybe because of the lack of chemistry of the people involved, and maybe because of the age difference, too. I mean, seriously.
3: But to make sure I understand you, you would have liked them to work, wouldn't you? Instead of excising the rom-com moments, you wouldn't mind having those in there if they worked, right? You wanted Roxanne as a character.
2: I wouldn't have minded having a romance, but... I don't want the movie to be a romance. I want the movie to be more flaming skulls and motorcycles and what this sequel seems to be promising us. So I can't recommend this film, but I can be very optimistic about next week.
3: Arnie, I'm venturing to guess that I'm probably the most excited out of the three of us. I I know I'm more excited than Stuart Uh, for this sequel. And it's not because I love this film. You guys just listened to how much I didn't love this film. But here's where my excitement lies. Neville, Dean, and Taylor, the directors. The guys who did Crank and Crank 2 High Voltage, which are amazing. I hope we get a third one because I will demand, like Robocop and Mad Max, I will demand a now playing retrospective for the Crank series. And I think you're with me, Arnie.
2: I love Crank 1. I like Crank 2. I didn't bother watching Gamer. But I saw these guys talk at Comic-Con. I've seen some of the footage that isn't even in the trailers. I have no idea what the story is. But it's looking pretty good. <laughs>
3: I've loved the footage I've seen. A lot of people got upset about the piss and fire. It's Ghost Rider. That's what I want. I've loved the promotional posters I've seen. They're very heavy metal. I talked about I want to see that connection between what the material is and how it's presented. Those posters have done that. They look like heavy metal art with spitting bullets. I'm hopeful for this. Yes, I just watched ghostwriter the original movie i'm still hopeful for this sequel very hopeful
2: and even though we didn't recommend it i mean you gotta admit the sequel was a given i'm surprised it took five years because this thing did gangbusters broke president's day weekend records
3: i was shocked how much money this film made when i did my wikipedia research
2: yeah Mm -hmm. i remember it being a success at the time getting 52 million in the first weekend i'm like wow that blew daredevil out of the water
1: it's a love story bring your dates Although I feel times are different, a Cage February release is not what it used to be, as the three people that saw Drive Angry can attest.
3: Hey, speaking of Drive Angry, if you want to see a great Ghost Rider movie, go see Drive Angry. I love that film. Saw it opening weekend. Oh, you were one of the three. (laughs) Yes, and I think all three were in the theater with me because there's
1: only three of us in there. I'm glad you found each other. Come on, Nick
3: Cage, a demon from hell, fighting other demons. It was basically the same story, but his head wasn't on fire. Great movie, recommended.
2: All right, well, we will be back next week for Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. So until then, let's ride.
0: Congratulations, Johnny. You upheld your end of the bargain. It's time I take back the power of the Ghost Rider. You get your life back. There are more deals to be made. More people willing to give their souls for what they desire. Let someone else carry this curse. You're free now. After all, the deal's a deal. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Ghost Rider Retrospective Series. It's probably a very good idea that you, you run on home now. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. This is crazy. You are crazy. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another movie based on Marvel Comics through the release of The Avengers this May. I didn't want what I said today to be the last words between us. And while at the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher.
1: Thanks for the info. I feel much better now that I know I'm the Devil's Bounty Hunter.
0: You can also listen to our non-comic-based movie reviews such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many more. Greatest show on Earth. You can also find individual movie reviews such as Avatar and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. You provide a very, very important civil service. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners.
1: I'm the only one who can walk in both worlds.
0: I'm Ghost Rider. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. It doesn't matter how far you run. There are some demons you just can't escape. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. All of you, come to me! Support from listeners like you... Help keep Now Playing operating. Plus, I have some personal issues I kind of like to get fixed. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I will make you pay for this. Name your price. Oh, I'll take your soul. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties, t shirts, coffee mugs, calendars, teddy bears, and much more. You're the best, and I'm your greatest fan. Now Playing's Ghost Rider Retrospective series is edited by Arnie. I can take a negative and turn it into a positive. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. This how legends are born. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Columbia Pictures. Ghost Rider and all that the Marvel Universe contains is the property and trademark of the Disney Company and no infringement is intended. Congratulations! Chances just went from none to swim. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. I'm not trying to say anything. I'm saying that means something. Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012. All rights reserved. Whenever innocent blood
1: is spilt, it'll be my father's blood. And you'll find me there. The spirit of vengeance. Fighting fire with fire.
2: (laughs) Our good friend Goyer did a script for Daredevil. Did a God damn, this is gonna be a problem today. <laughs> 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 oh, what's that movie where it was the crime thing? Um, like
1: wow, well. Red Rock West.
2: No, uh, he he's body lifting Face women
1: off. Oh, your kiss of death. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Do we want to transition to a plot summary from here? Yes. There okay.
1: Well, no, I don't have one.
3: Okay. <laughs> Well, Arnie, why don't you tell us what Johnny Blaze does in Ghost Rider?
1: I don't know. No, (laughs) no, ironically, that's what I was gonna do, and I was like, no, I can't do
3: that. Well, I guess we're doing it then. If two of us have a
2: bad
1: idea, it must be good. We gotta go for it with it.
2: That's why we're doing the series, right? Two of us have a bad
1: idea; it must be good. (laughs) Yes.
2: And so I kind of picture that kind of situation where he just came and one by one, turned the whole town against each other and got them all to make deals with the devil.
3: That sounds like a more interesting movie than Ghost Rider.
2: Well, maybe someday we'll do needful (laughs) things, but.
3: Oh, don't give them hope of the mega (laughs) Stephen King series now.
2: (laughs) I like to tease.
3: (laughs) So I'm glad they kind of condensed it here and streamlined it. And let's just put it all into his original dad. It makes sense to have, you know, this.
2: We have to retire that phrase.
1: Yes. Oh, I'm sorry.
3: (laughs) If you're going to be Satan, Satan, I I keep having Saturday Night Live flashbacks here. (laughs) It doesn't make more sense, but it's simpler in the comic. I hope that works for you, Stuart. Okay. (laughs) Roxanne, with the power of love, literally with the power of love, is able to fight off Mephisto.
2: Thank you for putting Huey Lewis in my head.
3: I yeah, that. (laughs) Come on now, you got it. You've already brought up (laughs) yes, and you've already brought up Back to the Future.
1: (gasps) That way, but I had wondered how long is it supposed to have been. From him as a 17-year-old riding away to when we see Cage doing his next big trick, jumping, what, semis or something?
2: Well, what's also funny is, in these early scenes... That was the question. Oh.
1: Yes, they were semis.
2: (laughs) Yes, they were semis. No, 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 no.
1: (laughs) The question was... Well, I
2: was getting to the time issue. I was about to do the time issue.
3: Can I compliment them? Yeah, I
2: always thought that the hand... Were characters... Excuse me. Wow.
1: <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Is that your elemental power? you <laughs> like Barney. You could have been sense. into this movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could merge
1: that with my original yeah, thing. There and you go. You would sound like him. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Gristle, I thought it was, they were saying something, what did I think they were saying? Hold on.
2: You probably thought they were saying Gristle, because his name is not Gristle.
1: Oh, wait, it's not Gristle? (laughs) No. Uh Uh-huh. Then uh, I I know, it's (laughs) Gristle. Oh, all right.
3: (gasps) Yeah, she seems much more like a weather girl than a major reporter. It's the cleavage.
1: And Stuart is her cameraman. They even spell it right. I'm always excited <laughs> when my name appears in a movie. It's a, kind of a rarity. I do. I get a little. Yeah, I couldn't even sit through li- Stuart Little. I was jumping up and down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen her in Urban Legends and Too Fast, Too Furious.
1: Oh, I thought you meant a literal urban legend. I'm like, oh, did she eat the finger in the hamburger? <laughs> Poor girl. Uh...
2: How did I miss Bad Lieutenant 2? I God. mean, how did I not even know that came out? I guess because Nick Cage does like seven movies a year since Going Broke.
1: but I, Cage is actually a great deal of fun in that movie. All his weirdness actually works very well at playing a bad cop. <laughs> I mean, that, that... I won't say it. I was about to say it makes sense, and then I, I follow through on <laughs> my contract and, and did my Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs>